Happy Friday, everybody. Today is May 20th, and this is episode 21 of our Google Hangouts and podcast on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volk, founder of the Volk Firm and Nimble This. With us, we have the deacon of Doxis, one and only John Downey, CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems and uh, computer guru here. John, good to have you back. Hey, thank you. I'm trying to get my headphones set up here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you, sound, you sound great as always, John. Good video, good audio. It's going well. <laughs> Prepared well. <laughs> yeah, right on time as always. So uh, we've got a great show today. We're going to be talking about Doctor Street One, practical applications and stuff. I also have some miscellany I want to uh, cover things in the news. There's a lot of uh, a lot of companies making announcements about Doxus 3.1 rollouts. So you know, of course, we know Comcast is deploying in six different markets. Uh, there's European operators like TDC announcing that they're doing uh, Doxus 3.1 rollouts uh, by the end of 2017. They're supposed to cover 1.4 million homes in Doxus 3.1. So definitely, that's uh, definitely getting its its momentum going. Charters closed the deal. Now with uh, Time Warner and Bright House Networks, they're going to serve more than 25 million customers in across 41 different states. So they're getting, you know, their Comcast is 27 million uh, customers. So that's they're they're trying to catch up with. Uh, John, I don't know if you have anything uh, to add on that uh, merger or not, but. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that. I just got back from Boston to the INTX show. Um, you know, used to be the NCTA show. It's in excess, got, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> still looking for a lead singer. <laughs> the, I got to wonder, it's like, when does that show become the way of the dinosaur or the way of the Western show? Yeah. You know, they, they, they try to combine it with the emerging technologies. So it has set good workshops and sessions, but the show floor something's got to change, right? The way we do business now and these, and the reason why I thought about that is you just talked about Charter, Bright House, Time Warner merging. The less MSOs we get, the less you're going to have attendance unless those big MSOs let their customer, their employees go. Yeah, yeah that, there's a lot of cost and a lot of time yeah. taken away from selling people to shows like that. So they're going to, they're only going to send a, a fewer percentage of their, of their resources to these shows. I think we're going to see the same thing in things like SCT Expo. We see that attendance uh, start, you know, drop and stuff. So we're going to see the same thing at these at these smaller shows. And people are going to say, you know, what, we're going to do one show a year, and and yeah. it's probably going to be SCT Expo. Um, think so about how these this, shows where this show, think where they, yeah, where this show falls. I mean, this show falls. It just happened, and like you and I, we're going to Anga in Germany. So if you're a big uh, uh, you have to supply, you know, resources for both. So it becomes difficult for those two shows. And then if you do CES and SCTE and so, and, and I'm not even privy to everything that goes on behind the scenes, you know, but I go to the show and I see the attendance and it seems like at what point do you have more vendor attendance than you do outside attendance? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you absolutely. have vendors just looking at other vendor stuff. <laughs> you know, handing out uh, like trick or treat and going to each vendor's place just to get a free ball or something like that. Yeah, so you can you can tell me about anything exciting you saw at INTX. I, I didn't go. I, I did see one announcement that uh, intrigued me. It was the Nokia Bell Labs. 
uh, announced the world's first 10 gigabit per second data speed over traditional cable access. It was, it's basically a cable that they came up with. They, they call XG cable. So I, I like the name of it. It's pretty cool. And they say by using this technology that uh, operators can effectively use existing HFC cables over the last 200 meters to provide unrealizable upstream speeds. So, so basically, to, the way I understand this, this is basically like monster cable, you, you know, that you can get a like best buy for the cable industry. So it's just really high speed coax cable that goes to high frequencies, super high frequencies. And so I don't know if you saw that at INTX while you were there, there was, you know, a couple press releases that basically gives us um, or 4.0, we talked about that a couple shows ago, but this would give you from, say you go you know, from a, a node or uh, an amplifier to the, to the home, uh, you can give this uh, full duplex to access. Uh, so, I, I think know. that's the key right there. It's, it's trying to tie in with the full duplex, duplex FTX, yep. whatever you want to call it, where you have no duplex filters, the upstream, we know we can get a lot of speed on the downstream with DOCSIS 3.1. And even if we go to 1.218 gigahertz on the downstream, we might be able to get three, four, five blocks of DOCSIS 3.1 at maybe 4K qualm. Uh, looking at 4 to 8K qualm, five blocks, that's basically a gigahertz of spectrum, 200 to 1.2 gig. Um, we're looking at 10 gig of speed right there. But on the upstream, that becomes our bottleneck again. There's no way we're going to even get it close to symmetrical speeds. Uh, even if we did 5 to 85, 5 to – I have a European customer looking at seven, 117 megahertz in the upstream. Most people don't even know about that split, uh, like a 117, 150 split. But the other split that people are looking at is 204, 254. Um, it's like why would I do that when maybe full duplex is out by then? But for to do this full duplex, I need another new CP, not even DOCSIS 3.1, a new modem past DOCSIS 3.1, and we haven't even deployed DOCSIS 3.1 yet. DOCSIS so, I mean, 5.0. <laughs> <laughs> One million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the way I see things playing out is we definitely need an HFC upgrade, and that's probably going to be a deep fiber architecture, node plus one, node plus zero, a node that can be upgraded to remote phi, what we do with that last bit of coax, if we can get rid of diplex filters, we might be able to deploy an FDX type of solution to open up the upstream and do this full duplex. But this might be seven, eight years down the road, whatever it happens to be. Because I'm going to invest in an HFC upgrade, probably, I think, 85 megahertz in the U.S. Uh, upstream. And then I think 1.2 gig on the downstream. Um, specialized tabs, whatever, to make things uh, uh, levels equal. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to decide there. Um, but then it's going to have to be, if I do the full duplex later on, it's another CPE device because you're taking you're getting rid of all the diplex filters. You're letting the upstream and downstream use the same piece of coax. In my new modem, I'm going to have to have some type of echo cancellation where whenever I transmit upstream, my downstream filters it out so I don't, like, bleed into myself. My mode. Right. And then I have to wonder uh, if I am on the same tap, if you want to call it a tap, whatever, uh, as my neighbor, when I transmit upstream, his downstream has to stop. So on the same tap, you're going to have to have half duplex. Now, if it's 10 gig half duplex, just don't get five gig up, five gig down. So who cares, right? I mean, it's a, it's a huge speed. But on the common cable where everyone is, it would be full duplex. 
gig up, 10 gig down. And if you did remote fi, you could have a you know a 50 dB downstream MER because you have no amplifiers, you have no fiber deep. Uh, I mean, it's it's all doable. And what Nokia showed, I mean, they're just showing the capability of what coax can do. I don't even know that they were showing some special cable. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's amazing after all this time. And, you know, we're still innovating on coax cable. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. And, and to your point of, you know, we're talking about gigabit speeds and, and that's phenomenal. You know, I, I do remember a time when you and I were working at C-Core quite a few, you know, 25 years ago when we were debating whether or not C-Core, you know, C-Core as a company should get into the cable. And, you know, there was executives saying, who is ever going to need 10 megabits of speed on a, on a, we, we had uh, dial-up modems at the time. So it really shows you, you know, 10 megabits of speed seemed like a, an absurd amount of speed at the time. Now we're talking about 10 gigabits of speed seeming like a, an absurd amount of speed. But I, I think, you know, in 20 years from now, 10 gigabits of speed will seem like, well, that's just nothing. Because we'll be, we'll be talking about terabits of speed over the network. Yeah, if we don't learn from history, we're destined to repeat it, right? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's been going, going for, for on forever. You know, Moore's Law, every 18 yeah. months, everything doubles the speed and half the price or whatever it is. Uh, and it hasn't stopped. And, and even when people keep throwing around the, the Kager number, the compound annual growth rate of uh, 25, 50, 30, 50%, I'm like, at what point does a percentage of a high number become even higher? And I think, you know, and, and I kept thinking, you know, once I get to 100 meg, you know, 50% is 150 and then blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's, it's a lot. Like 50% Kager of one meg, no big deal, right? But fifty percent of ten meg, hundred meg, it gets it's exponential or whatever you want to call it. Or, so it's like it's or fifty percent of ten down. gig is 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 a lot. <laughs> yeah. So then I'm like, but and I, I kind of doubted it, but it keeps we keep following it every year. We keep following yeah. it, and and all it takes is like some other application to come out, and now we're looking at over the top video. The question will be, what's the killer app on the upstream that forces us to do stuff with the upstream, right? It's like, uh, is it just a marketing ploy where we want to offer symmetrical speeds, but no one's really using it? You know, what are we doing on the upstream? Is it is it uh, Periscope? Is it uh, home security? Is it uh, you know high def cameras in your house for home security? You know, what are we doing on the upstream that's going to what's going to be the killer app that that pushes upstream? Yep, there's a lot of cool things going on there. So, uh, a couple, a couple more uh, miscellany I have. Uh, Cable Labs, the ingenious working group, which is the uh, the P and M working group at Cable Labs, Proactive Network Maintenance. They have two new papers that they came out at uh, INTX. One is a uh, they they developed a novel method to locate signal leakage in the cable plant using both the phase and magnitude of uh, uh, basically a continuous wave signal. And uh, they combine that with GPS, Global Positioning System, and it produces the latitude and longitude coordinates of, of uh, cable plant defects. So it's, it's something they've, they've been working on for quite some time. It's a nice little system. It's kind of a low-cost uh, signal leakage system. Uh, so they have a paper on that. Uh, you, I, you know, I think they so, so have gener Downstream generation? So generate in the head end? Yeah, generate. Well, they can. Yeah, just do a CW signal in the head end. So, uh, but it's a it's a really nice system. They have a nice demo. You can you know you drive around in the vehicle, but it's a it's a different way of doing um, uh, signal or signal leakage detection. Uh, the other paper that they have is they uh, demonstrated a new time domain reflectometer or TDR. 
uh, that is basically looks at signals in the cable, any cable modem that has full band capture, they look at standing waves that you have, and then they do an inverse Fourier transform on those ripples, and they can very accurately determine where plant impairments are that would come from things like uh, corrosion, animal chews, stress fat fractures on, on the uh, coax cable, anything that's going to cause uh, anytime that you see like the, the little ripples and stuff, a increase a standing wave on your forward path channels. And so they can very accurately determine the distance to where and, and locate where that impairment is. So we're, you know, we're just adding more capabilities to our proactive network management uh, solutions or net, network maintenance solutions. Almost the same. Yeah. We can, yeah, we can use the same formulas we use on the upstream for, uh, you know, distance to fault or distance in the cavity or distance yes. between two faults of a cavity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 492 times loss propagation. I actually, call, we used to call that FDR, right? Frequency division or frequency domain reflectometry, not really TDR. Um, so I'm wondering why Cable Labs didn't decide to call it FDR unless there's a, a problem with uh, JDSU Viavi because they, they had the old CLI 1750 device, I think it was called, that did FDR, Frequency yeah. Domain Reflectometry. Yeah, it's just, uh, same it's, it's the same technology. The thing is, we just have millions of modems out there that are deployed that have full band capture capability, and we can pull those modems. We see a standing wave. We can very quickly triangulate it on where the leak is. It's a good paper. It's good, you know, it's the, the, we, the technology is not necessarily new, as, you, as, you, as you're saying. It's been out there for some time. It's just we're able to take advantage of it in all the DOCSIS 3.0 modems that have full band capture capability. But, but, but you know as well as I, it's, it's only the 3 It's I don't think any 8x4 3.0 modem has it, right? I think it's all the newer modems, like the 16x4 or 20, 24x8 and 32x8 modems. The, uh, yes, there, there are 8x4s that have it. Uh, it's a, if they have the Broadcom 3380 chipset or higher, and I think the, it's the Puma 5, Intel Puma 5 chipset and higher, if they have the right firmware in them. So there's like okay. that caveat. you got to get the upgraded firmware in them. Did, did uh, Cable Labs come up with a generic terminology? Because isn't Broadcom FPC a Broadcom term? Full uh, you know, we've gone back and forth on that, and I think we settled. We we came to the conclusion that FPC was not trademarked. We can use full band capture. We were going down the route of saying, um, uh, I think it was CPE capture or something, some terminology like that. But FB, uh, full band capture. Uh, we're allowed to use that once again. We thought we couldn't use it, and we realized we can use it. So it's cool. Okay, good. So, so going back to your first, I want to comment on the first thing you talked about was the CW generation with maybe some phase or amplitude modulation on the CW for leakage. I know Ron Rannick is on a working group as well. Uh, how do we translate that into a remote buy solution? Because there's no RF in the head end for a remote phi solution because the phi now will be out in the field at the node. So that node has to generate this CW carrier or that node has to generate CW with some modulation on it to distinguish that it is a CLI carrier, you know, something for me to test CLI. You know, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I'll have to take that back to the Ingenious Working Group and uh, ask, you know, what, how we'd be doing that in a remote phi solution. Yeah, I mean, even when we do remote phi, like Viavi, which is the old JDSU, their path track's not going to work anymore, right? I mean, there's yeah, no yeah. off-stream RF. It's all digital. Out there. There's a lot of work going on right now to make sure that any type of remote phi solutions, no matter who the vendor is, supports things like upstream capture 
upstream spectrum analysis because that is extremely important because the you know you know, <laughs> you, know you don't stick a patchrack solution or any type of return path big box monitoring solution out out in a node easily or, or even downstream sweep right you won't have any yes. sweep points yes you can't inject every, any sweep. All the traditional ways of testing the plant that, that we've used in a pat historically uh, really go away, and and PNM then becomes extremely important for us to have those type of solutions out there. For no, I agree. You know, you talked about you know as long as we've been in cable and TV, cable TV started in what 1948, um, we've been in it for a long time. And uh, we still come up with like the simple things that can make a difference. I ran into Brad at uh, Holland Electronics at the show, and he was showing me his his F connector. <laughs> F connector. How long has an F connector been around, right? It's like, what can you really do with an F connector or an F eighty one barrel? It's like, how can you really change it? Are these the self terminating ones? They're sort of self terminating, right? They're spring loaded. Yeah. So I wouldn't call them self terminated. More like. Uh, it's a pin. Say, say you have an F connector uh, with a pin. Uh, so it's a pin connector, not a feed through connector. Uh, when you disconnect it, say from the wall plate or whatever, it's not just an antenna sitting there. The pin right. kind of pushes away. So it's more like an open. And I asked them, it would be cool if once the, the spring load pushed away, that internally there was a 75 ohm resistor to ground. Yeah. That would be more space, cost, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I said, because you're pushing away the antenna and the ingress source, but you still have a, a micro reflection, right? You have reflections. So all these unterminated, they're like unterminated drops. It's basically like having F81 barrels everywhere. But he says, you know, in a, in a big conference hall, like we were at, in Boston, you could have 300 drops go into all these booths that when they up and leave and the booth just has all these cables hanging. So you have the accumulation of all these drops of ingress. Whereas with these connectors, you don't have to worry about people like terminating and stuff like that. Yeah, there are opens, but it's better than having ingress egress antenna. Yeah, yeah, the ingress is is really is, is really a, the big problem they're trying to solve there. So it is a nice solution. I've seen those connectors before, uh, and I, I think they're a great idea. I do agree having the the, the seventy five ohm termination on it would be nice, but at least getting the connector pulled. Can't have everything. <laughs> yeah, where'd you put it? They were can't. <laughs> Can't have everything, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. On the Doxus 3.1, we wanted to talk about uh, a couple of different things. You know, one of the things that I have been hearing from a number of operators that are sort of hesitant to even look at Doxus 3.1 is they're hearing things like, "Well, they have to replace all the equipment in their plant. They have to, they have to change splits, and and you know, they're concerned about peak to average power ratio." And I, I wanted to clarify some of those things that. You know, initially we were worried about peak to average power ratio. I think we talked about that last week or last uh, podcast with Ron that, um, you know, peak to average power ratio is something people were initially concerned about at the, at the, at the very beginning. And, and what that is, is we have these pilot carriers. I think you were going to talk a little bit more about those, but pilot carriers are at a higher power level than the, than the average subcarrier in the uh, OFDM channel. And we were concerned that these these pilot carriers were going to cause you know have too much peak power versus the average power of the channel, and and that would cause overdriving of RF amplifiers, the hybrid gain blocks, and uh, and we would need to upgrade the amplifiers to gallium uh, to, to to gallium the, the 
gallium nitride am uh, amplifiers, and so we just have to replace everything. And what we found out over time was actually, you know, these pilot carriers, there's, there's so few of them that the peak power just gets swamped out by the average power, and it's, it's really not a problem. So that kind of said, you know, no, we don't need to replace all the RF equipment out there. Um, I mean, a big concern was laser, downstream laser clipping. Also laser so clipping. Than, yeah, more so than amplifier compression. Yep. And then and Ron ran some numbers, and he found out that even though the pilots are 6 dB higher than all the rest of the subcarriers, and, and even a 192 megahertz OFDM block, that it adds an average power of maybe less than a dB. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's, so it's, it's a good point. <laughs> Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, so it, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, and that's not really going to be a concern. My concern would be more like upstream laser clipping. <laughs> Hopefully there's no FP lasers out there, but even if I have yeah. DFP lasers on the upstream, all analog lasers are not digital reverse. Um, if I start doing OFDMA, DOCSIS 3.1 upstream, you know, how is that going to affect me? And, and that's still the unknown, you know? So, and, and, and that's a, I mean, a good part to point to bring up. You for, First, you don't have, you can run DOCSIS 3.1 and you, you don't have to do OFDMA in the return. You can you could still do DOCSIS 3.0 mode in the return. But if you wanted to do OFDMA in the return, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I have to do like 96 megahertz of spectrum in return. But the, the return, the DOCSIS 3.1 specification allows you to do an OFDMA channel in a return as small as a 6.4 megahertz bandwidth. So you can do a really small OFDMA return channel just to start experimenting it with it in return and, you know, take that capability of the increased modulation capacity of DOCSIS 3.1 in return. And, and so one of the things I'm telling people is you can do DOCSIS 3.1 in the downstream and in the upstream without making any changes at all in your plan and, and take advantage of what DOCSIS 3.1 has to offer. And I think that's why we're seeing so many cable operators starting to say, hey, we're deploying DOCSIS 3.1 now or, you know, making plans to do it within the next year. And yeah, it's a lot of field trials going on. You and I are going to Germany in a couple of weeks, uh, and I'm talking about spectrum allocation for DOCSIS 3.1 and and uh, why and why not, or pros and cons of doing different splits, uh, what they might do in USA versus Europe. And uh, there's a lot of options there, and it's still analysis paralysis. We sit there and analyze everything. And it's like, all right, what do we do? Because it's a big decision. It's going to take a lot of money. Uh, and you might say, let's deploy DOCSIS 3.1 and don't do anything to my plant, which is perfectly fine. On the upstream, it becomes a, a, a pain. Um, that, what are we calling it? Uh, a and F, T, amp, or what is it? Uh, time and frequency division multiplexing yeah. on the upstream. Uh, F and T, F and T. <laughs> it sounds like you're swearing at somebody. F and T is F and T. Uh, <laughs> uh, frequency and time. I think they turned it around. They said T and F, or I don't know what it is. <laughs> or is it T and A? It's one of those. <laughs> but it's it's sharing the upstream spectrum. Right? It's like letting uh, two O and three O modems burst whenever they need to burst, and they have a three one modem burst because it's all bursty. You could have one of three O and two O modems drop. In that same spectrum, you could have OFDMA, which is so coexistence. Sharing, sharing, yeah. yeah, which is coexistence yeah. in the specification, so it allows them. Yeah. So you're just making more, yeah, and you're making more complexity in the CMTS, right? Because it has to schedule the time and everything else. Uh, and in a five to forty-two megahertz, that's probably going to be a necessity because I don't have a lot of spectrum to work with in the first place, 
And the only reason to go to three one in that five to forty two is I know I could do lower modulation. It's more robust from five. Maybe I do that six point four megahertz minimum channel you just talked about from five to eleven. Yeah, <laughs> megahertz. And, and you yeah. have the benefit of LDPC, low density parity check, which is the the much more advanced replacement for Reed Solomon error correction. So when you have a lot of impulse noise and ingress in that, you know, sub 20 megahertz range, that's a great place to put an OFDMA channel because you might actually be able to get pretty reasonable data throughput in that really noisy region where you have a very robust error correction and you also have subcarriers that are very small, they're 25 or 50 kilohertz wide so they can run at different order modulations in there and, and you can get some reasonable throughput. You, you never could put a 3.2 megahertz qualm in some of these noisy areas that have just read Solomon error correction because they're just going to drop pack, packets of data and perform them. They may not even, you, you may not even have a modem be able to register in that area. You might so, be on, you'd have to run QPSK, and at that point, it's like, what's the point? I mean, yeah. your throughput is so low. It's kind of like, what's the point? So, I mean, I running some numbers, 5 to 42, running maybe 16 qualm in the low end, 64, maybe at the very high end, and 256, or 1K qualm in the middle, where because some of these systems have a good MER. Um, and, and you could probably get close to 300 megabits per second. Whereas you look at that same spectrum with ATDMA, four ATDMA channels, that's 108. Yeah. So that could potentially get you three times more speed, 300 meg, maybe offer 150 meg service on the upstream. And, and, and I think yeah. that's where it's coming to, right? This is, this is without, you know, p potentially without making any changes to the plan. I think the, the key concern could be the return path transmitter uh, because that, that's the, uh, that becomes the weak link where we could have laser clipping. So the remote, the remote five then really becomes a nice solution to get rid of that return path, the analog laser, and replace it with a digital laser when when we, you know, start uh, to make a change there. So now, so now, you know, maybe the change becomes if we want to take full advantage of five to forty-two megahertz without changing out the rest of the plant, is just replacing the fiber node with a remote phi, um, and we can really, as you say, go from one of five megahertz to over three hundred or one of five megabits per second to go or to you know, upwards of 300, 350 megabits per second. That's a significant change without making changes to the rest of our plant and going to an 85 megahertz or 200 megahertz split. You know, within the next one or two years, we could push that off for, for you know, three, four years. That's a heck of a game. Yeah, but, but you know, the, the big problem with RemoteFi upfront is you basically have to have an all digital lineup. There can't be any analog video channels, right? I mean, your downstream video has to be all qualms, and, uh, basically, because you're going to be generating all absolutely. those qualms from the, from the node itself. But um, you talk so to a majority of carriers today, or operators today, and they're headed or may having the migration plans to go to all digital. And, then, and some of them are talking about going to, you know, how do I get to an all IP solution? Um, because they, they just, you know, if they're looking at going to all digital, and going all MPEG, they actually want to figure out how to get to an all IP solution. I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought it was ironic how Comcast, you know, talked about analog reclamation, and they started using the term digital reclamation, yeah. going from MPEG-2 to MPEG-4, get even more compression, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot better compression. And we talked about the next compression past that was like HEVC -E or MPEG-5. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Yeah. What do we call it? HEVC? H264? Yeah. 
There's just some acronym or initialism, but <laughs> just more, more is better. More is better. Hey, if Ron's watching, he would say abbreviation. <laughs> <laughs> abbreviation is the generic term for acronyms and initialisms or something like that. <laughs> so um, uh, what else did I see INTX? Um, uh, I, I didn't see a lot of people walking around, you know, even Cisco, we didn't even have a booth. We had a suite. So basically we didn't have an open booth that people could just walk in. You had to be like invited in and brought in with a Cisco employee. And that's what it seems like the INTX is becoming is more. It's always been suits, right? The NCTA show is always suits. And then the suits and ties, suits and ties, not so much ties anymore, but it's all the higher end guys, CTOs, CEOs, stuff like that. The decision yeah. makers and the money guys. Um, whereas SCTE is all technicians and hardware and stuff that you can deploy today, showing people how to like optimize stuff. Um, so if it's all suits at these shows, then having suites makes more sense. At what point do you stop having open booths? It's like, what's the point? Right. Yeah, and that, that's why I'm wondering about the science extra. It's like, you know, how how long before you figure out that uh, it's it's a shift in how we do business? Do you make it more like virtual? <laughs> Have a GoPro and people walk around and people can attend virtually? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> you know? yeah there are there are a couple virtual shows and I, which I've attended. They're, they they don't go over so well. They're they're kind of uh, lame. <laughs> you can't you can't control a drone. You can't control yeah, a drone yeah, drone yeah, remotely. No. <laughs> just fly over top. <laughs> yeah. So. But uh, so yeah, that one came and went. Um, and back to the three one stuff. And we're gonna talk in Germany and Anga on Box Three One spectrum allocation. I'm looking at the five to eighty five megahertz on the upstream as a, as a good option in the U S. Uh, it still allows me the downstream to do the legacy MPEG-2 uh, set-top boxes. Uh, I know some of them have a downstream control channel for the MPEG, the, the set-top box, and they are frequency agile, but a lot of systems are, are focusing on a 104 megahertz downstream control channel for those millions of legacy set-top boxes. So that right there is restricting me to upgrade to even a higher split on the upstream. Because if I increase my upstream split, it decreases my downstream, meaning I eat into my downstream. Right. And, and that's the controlling thing there. It happens to be some of the legacy set-top boxes. So even the 85-105 split is actually dropped down to an 85-102 split. Hmm. So you might see diplex filters that say 105, but they're probably more like 102. That way the 104 downstream can still get through the system and then control those millions of set-top boxes. So the 85-102 split makes sense. Uh, Digital reverse before I go remote fi, EDR, the uh, enhanced digital return, uh, that gets rid of laser clipping as well because you're digitizing the upstream. Uh, you could still have A to D clipping though. So if you have a lot of ingress and noise coming in, your A to D in the node itself could have some clipping there. Um, so that, I mean, there are some things we have to make this stuff work uh, that might be more uh, palatable as far as cost goes. Um, the, the flexible solution tabs, I think, make a big, make a, make a, a, a they help a lot with upstream transit level issues. Uh, I think what, what is it? A flexible solution, solution tab? Tabs. It's Can a tab equalizers. It's a tab instead of just the reverse pad that they have equalizers or cable simulators in the tabs. So it's almost like instead of just balancing your amplifiers, you would balance your tabs as well. 
Okay, so that this is just a, a adjust the forward and and uh, return transmit power of the cable modems and receive power of the cable Correct. modems, right? Correct. Correct. It's almost like you're trying to balance the tap for the cable preceding the tap. Right. So there's a lot of coax cable which has nonlinear loss. You take the tap and you try to balance that out, so you're coming almost flat on the downstream out, and then going in, you're transmitting close to forty three to forty five dBmV. Yeah, okay. I've just not heard that term used for them before. I, I think it might be a, a, a Cisco term. Yeah, you guys come up with a lot of great, uh, you, uh, you, your own names for stuff. So, But you're big <laughs> enough. You can do that. <laughs> Sometimes it's just me and Ron. We just, or maybe it's just me. I make up, I make up names. See if it'll stick. <laughs> yeah. But uh, back to the spectrum allocation. Um, in Europe... A lot of systems are 65 megahertz in the upstream, so going to 85 doesn't make sense, right? No, I mean, no, no. Their, their next logical jump. Is, yeah, their next logical jump. 204. But I ran, I ran into another European vendor that's thinking about, and this is a, a split. I think it's in the spec, but no one really knows about it or no one talks about it. It's a 117, I think 150 split. So it's 117 on the upstream, 150 on the downstream. Yeah, so about double the reason the why I like it. Yeah, so. If you're 5 to 65, that's only 60 megahertz of spectrum. From 65 to 117, that's another, what, 50? So you're almost doubling your spectrum without going too high, eating into more of my downstream. And to do a 204 upstream, that's going to be a lot of coax loss if you plan on using anywhere above maybe 120 or 130 anyway because of the coax loss. So your upstream transmit levels are going to suffer quite a bit. And we always talk about it's like, what are we going to do in the upstream? We don't have AGC in the upstream. On your downstream amplifiers, you have it. Well, in Europe, maybe they're node plus one, so they don't have a lot of nodes anyway. And a lot of underground, right? I was going to say, no, uh, there's so much underground. I don't think it's going to matter for them. And you know, so, Remember like when you and I worked at C-Core, we had special amplifiers? I try to forget those days. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the housings had all the connectors on the bottom, right? Yeah. That way, because it's all underground, so it's easy to go in and out on the bottom of the housing. Um, but it's all underground, so temperature is not a big concern. But you still have all the coax loss. You have all the splitters. You have all the taps. So higher frequencies on the upstream are going to have more loss. So now I need motors with an even higher transmit level uh, unless I have this flexible solution taps. So if I have the taps to help balance this out, that will help. Uh, we even talked about 5 to 85 megahertz. If you do have three four amplifiers in Cascade, I would opt for the thermal equalizers on the upstream. Yeah, you know, not just regular reverse EQs, but thermal reverse EQs, you know, especially if it's aerial cable. Or if you maybe if you have the Nokia XG cable, <laughs> that solves all these problems. <laughs> Zero loss. Zero loss. Super collider, superconductor. It's That's it's, right. it's cold, super cold. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a magnetic train or whatever you call it, yeah. a magnet lift. <laughs> So, so what's your paper on for ANGA? What are you talking about at ANGA? That's, so that's the second week in June or first week, second week in June. You know, my, my goal was to talk about capacity planning with DOCSIS 3.1 involved. And uh, it's what I talked about SCT last year in New, New Orleans. Is that where we were? New Orleans? Yeah. yeah. No, New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. So the goal was to talk about that, but it's so much content. I'm like, uh, we looked at how many people were in my session. We got 70, 75 minutes. 15 minutes for Q&A, so that's one hour, and they, they just threw in another person into my session. So it's me, someone from Aris, 
Jack Moran from Huawei Future Huawei, two uh, local uh, operators in Europe. That's five guys in an hour. So that gives me what, 12 minutes? That gives me, that gives me half a slide. <laughs> that gives me an intro, and that's about it. And I'm like, my name's John Downey. If you have any questions, catch me later. <laughs> so I'm hoping to go first so I can take all of Jack's time and all the other guys' time. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a brutal, brutal time for everyone, everyone but you. Yeah. So I, I cut down my presentation to uh, focusing just on 3-1 spectrum allocation. Just talking about spectrum, upstream, downstream, what type of splits, what are my problems, pros and cons. Um, and you know, there might be things that people keep forgetting about. Like downstream, we go past one gigahertz in the downstream. Are you doing Mocha? Uh, the channel D1 of Mocha is 1.15 gigahertz. Is that going to be a problem? Maybe. Maybe I need filters in the house so Mocha doesn't affect the 3.1 modem, and the 3.1 modem doesn't affect Mocha. Is Mocha so equally deployed in Europe as it is here? No. No. And so that's going to help me over talking about this over there. They won't have to worry about it. <laughs> don't spend a lot of time on that. Uh, I, you don't have to worry about mocha, but keep in mind cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but there's there might be that uh, LTE. LTE might be just for 4G cell phone. Yeah. 700 to 800 megahertz. I found out also in Europe. I talked to one of our European SEs, our sales engineers, and he said, you know, you know we talk about remote control cars and stuff being at 27 megahertz, 48 megahertz, whatever. Uh, garage door openers are at like 3, 315. They have some um, uh, boat um, nav navigation, I think, in some of their boats and stuff that are at 400 and some megahertz. So there might be some frequencies, because we talk about digital off-air broadcasters, LTE, 4G cell phone, like what is potentially over the air that can get in? And it might be things you don't really know about or you don't think about. Uh, you know, in New York, it used to be taxi cab drivers using old landline or, or mobile walkie-talkie stuff at 33, 36 megahertz and stuff like that. Uh, that stuff just kept getting in. Uh, downstream, older, remember the old uh, cordless phones at 900 megahertz. Um, so there might be things that we don't think about because we haven't gone past 860. Right. Well, now we're going to one gig. Now we're going to 1.2 gig. Remember the old MC squared cable? Um, was that times fiber where it had a known suck out at like 530 megahertz and then they changed yeah. the manufacturing process and now it has a suck out at a 1.1 gig. Well, yeah. now they're we're not even all, Yeah, we might see it now. <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Uh, but it's like we haven't seen past you know, 860 or 1 gig. So maybe we have to sweep it again to 1.2 gig and make sure and, and 1.2 gig some of our amplifiers and roll off and accessories and you know what's the uh stop frequency of uh jdsu sweep gear do you know what's it go out to? i think it's one gig i think, I, I think it stops at like 1.02 gig or something i don't think it goes beyond that yeah i, I think you're right yeah so that's a good point it's like are they going to update that would people update it knowing that they might not be able to use that equipment if they ever go to remote fly anyway um yeah i know when i worked there sweep was not something that was we were investing a lot of resources in because it was, yeah. it was working great you know, it, <laughs> as, yeah as, as an operator do you just say you know let's almost go back to the old way of things and we'll just insert a few carriers out there 
and use a full bandwidth capture of the modems to see what's going on. See if they're rolling off. Yeah. Or you could, yeah. you, could, you could even put a, like a 192 megahertz OFDM channel oh, up yeah. there and look at what happens to it because that actually makes a great sweep channel. If it's yeah, flat. Fills the whole, spectrum, whole spectrum in, right? Yep. <laughs> if it's flat, you're good. If it's rolling off or yeah. sucking out, you're not good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you can use so a full band capture modem at the end of line to see what the quality of the end of line is then. Yeah. So that's the type of stuff I'm going to talk about in Angu is the uh, spectrum allocation and try to focus on that. And then uh, upstream and downstream. So 12 minutes. <laughs> I don't know how much I'll get through in 12 minutes. Hell, we've been yeah. talking for 45 minutes, right? Yeah, we were only going to do 15, so. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, well, I'll be at Anga. I'll be talking on uh, uh, operalization, opera, uh, implementing PNM. That's what I'll be talking about. Hey, I gotta do another selfless plug. Uh, is it selfless? No, it's self selfish. I'm gonna do a selfish plug. <laughs> uh, I'm talking at Cisco Live in Vegas, July 13th. So there's two Doxis uh, workshops, two hours apiece. Uh, Tuesday at 8 a.m. in Vegas. So 8 a.m. is not so bad, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and 8 a.m. <laughs> Wednesday is my session. Uh, we're talking about CBR8 features. Troubleshooting, uh, Doxis, Doxis 3.1. Um, that happens to go to Cisco Live. There's not a lot of Cis or cable guys that go to Cisco Live because it's a lot more expensive than SCTE and it's very Cisco focused. But if anyone happens to be out in Vegas in July and or is thinking about going to Cisco Live, uh, check us out. So there will be two Doxis seminars that will be worth going to. See, I was going to ask how you, how you go to Cisco Live, how you get tickets to Cisco Live. I didn't know you had to pay for them. I thought you would just like oh, yeah. send me one or something. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> they usually have a good party, too. I found out they have Mar Maroon 5 playing Wednesday night. Oh, wow. So they nice. Maroon 5. Yeah. <laughs> People should go to Cisco Live, get to see Maroon 5. <laughs> yeah, just for that, just for the party. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I think we covered all our topics. John, good seeing you. Thanks for hanging out. Everyone, thanks for joining. And uh, hit the subscribe button if you're watching YouTube. Catch the podcast. Go ahead. One more thing. You One see, more thing. You sound like the I'll Apple in, guy. I feel, I, 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 sound, I feel like I'm like a, one of those talk show guys, like Bill Maher or something. And by the way, I'll be at the Vegas Theater on the 29th, <laughs> and then I'll be at uh, Showtime, and I'll be at Palladium. Uh, I'll be, Except you're not rich like them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I'm actually going to be at uh, SCTE Southern California chapter in L.A. next or Wednesday. So I'll be out uh, in L.A. Wednesday, and we're doing. Um, I'll be talking with the uh, SCT Southern California chapter in L.A. That's a that's a great chapter. Tell them all I said hi. I know a lot of guys out there. So. Yep. So I'll be out there Wednesday. Excellent. All right, John. So long. <laughs> a pleasure as usual. Yes. Bye bye. <laughs>